Thank you, worship team. If you've got your Bibles, turn into uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you're new here, we've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I'm going to begin this morning by just reading the passage we're going to look at today. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pegs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. When broadcasters and TV people at times quote verses, I think there's, at least the last couple of years for me as I listen to that, there's two verses that they quote over and over again. And neither one is John 3.16, by the way. Um, but the first one, I don't have it on the screen. It really comes from the heart of today's text. Do not judge or you too will be judged. So they paraphrase that somehow. But the second one actually comes out of verse 12 in the text in, in this chapter. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. They kind of dub it the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But as often as they take a look at these two verses, the challenge is, as I hear them quoted, so often they're actually taking them out of context. They, they really don't understand the verses around them and what they actually mean. And, and we're going to kind of go down this path today. But I need to connect the, the text today, really even with myself and my own personality. Uh, there's a test that we do in a membership class, um, Introduction to Grand Rapids Free Church, and it's called the Myers-Briggs Test. I don't know if anybody have ever taken that. And the goal there in doing some of these things is to help people understand how God created us and how we can serve the kingdom of heaven. But in that, as I've looked at that and had to do a number of these things, um, the realization when you begin to look at your own personality, there's times when you just don't like your own self and our personalities. My letters on that is, I'm an INTP, if you know what that is. But And let me read you. I, I point people to a, a, a website, and here's what the website says about me. As an INTP, your primary mode of living is focused internally where you deal with things rationally and logically. Your secondary mode is external where you take things in primarily via your intuition. Now, it's not so bad to begin with here, but keeps going. INTPs live in a world of theoretical possibilities. They see everything in terms of how it could be improved or what it could be turned into. Now, this is where it gets a little ugly. They live primarily inside their own minds. To analyze problems, identify patterns, and come up with logical explanations. They seek to clarify everything and are therefore driven to build knowledge. They are the absent-minded professors. They typically are so strongly driven to turn problems into logical explanations that they live much of their lives within their own heads and may not place as much importance or value on the eternal world. And um, I'm not sure if I like that, but... 
goes on to say, then they may seem dreamy or distant to others. Let me take a little dream here. For Okay. They're, and they spend a lot of time inside their minds musing over theories. And you go, ouch. Anybody want to pick and I'll read what yours is too <laughs> as well? Um, but to say it another way, in my personality, I struggle when the dots don't connect. When there's, a, when there's reason and it just stops and it doesn't connect. And it, it just go, that doesn't make sense. Um, let me apply this a little bit more to my life. When Deanna and I go on vacation, most of the time we work hard at, if we're out of town, we'll go and find, look up in the phone book and find a church that's close by. And we'll usually head over there. And one of the things we'll do, we'll go in and sit down and we'll sing the music. And, and then the pastor starts preaching. And then there's a switch that goes on for me. And I begin to analyze everything that the guy says. Does it connect to the passages he's using? Does it connect to what he's saying? And if I'm going, come on, buddy. <laughs> I want to say that out loud. I don't. Uh, okay, you just made that stuff up. But, but there's a challenge. There's this, see, there's this critical element that can seep out within me that really looks and goes, what's wrong with this guy's teaching? And I have to confess, it's a hard switch to turn off. But let me apply that to this commandment. This commandment is a very strong one. And the issue is, as when you think of judging somebody, oftentimes it starts with being critical. And being critical is not necessarily judgmental in the sense of this passage today. But I would say this, being critical is only a couple steps away from going down a path of judgmentalism that's sinful and deeply wrong. And I would also say this, I think there's people in here who struggle with it just like I do. And maybe a bit farther. Do we understand, even as Christians what our reputation is out in the world. Do you realize that the church's reputation right now is that we're judgmental and we're lacking in love? Now, one of the pieces to this, the internet hasn't helped. And I don't know if you read much blogs, but you go to the end of these blogs and there's some vile stuff that people write, and they can hide behind you know, some, some names, some address that they don't even know who it is. But, but see, the, the world's perception of us as a church is not very, it's not very good right now. Matter of fact, uh, USA Today poll in 2008, so this is about six years old, they took a survey of, of people who were unchurched. They don't go to church. And, and of that group, 72% believe that God exists. Okay, But 72% also would say this, the church is filled with hypocrites. And 44% of that group would say this, Christians get on their nerves. And I think to some degree, it, it might actually be justified. Because here's the thing, are we as Christians so quick to condemn and we forget about sharing the gospel, words of hope? 
See, I think it's easier to pass condemnation than to go over and go, how do we give words of hope, words of life, the gospel? And I think the saddest part in this really is that for too many people, and I see this on the internet, it's like judgmentalism, they wear it as a badge of honor almost. See, that it's true. Also, I think because of this, it's coming back. People are judging us. Christians actually have become a punching bag in our culture. And the challenge, I think, maybe we've brought it on a bit ourselves. Uh, matter of fact, I, interesting, when you look at that 18 to 30-year-old generation that's just walking away to, from the church in droves, do you realize that one of their challenges is they're calling the church hypocrites and judgmental? See, see, this passage talks about how we are to relate. And that question on the screen, what kind of people does God want us to be as we engage with people? This is a very practical passage today. As we engage with the world around us, with our neighbors, our friends, with people. This is about actually relating to others. And the text is very pointed, and it's hard. And it's even hard for me to teach on. But Jesus is going after the heart. He's wanting us to live and to respond to people differently in the kingdom of heaven. See, I would say this. The world uses this command to not judge for their own gain. But I think what they do is they miss really the greater understanding of the text here. Now, to, so we need to get, what is Jesus saying here? And one of the ways to look at it is, what is he not saying? What is he not telling us? Well, the first one is this. Do not judge doesn't mean that you shouldn't say anything critical. That you're kind of a piece of jello that just kind of sits there. And you never think. Because you realize, as you look at the whole context of the, of the passage, that Jesus is actually judging people in this passage. In verse 6, he calls people a group, dogs and pigs. That's really harsh. And later on in, in, in the chapter, in verse 15, he says, Beware of the false prophets. He's making a judgment there that there's truth, that somebody, that there's false people that are among you. In sheep's clothing. So you catch, he's actually making a judgment. Matter of fact, if you jumped all the way to Matthew 18, when somebody sins against us, there's an interpretation to that, and the call there is for us to go and respond to that and go to the other person and, and deal with it. So the New Testament is clear. It's not just about sitting back and not ever thinking. As, as people of claim to follow Christ, we are to judge. We are to be discerning. And yet there's this command to judge not. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Judge not that you be not judged. For this judgment that you pronounce will be judged and will measure you and use it will be measured to you. So, so there's something deeper going on here. And let me give you some of the points where I think is really what, what Jesus, the heart of it is, because we're called to discern. We're called to judge in a certain way. 
The first one, if you're following along and taking notes, I said it this way. Judgment really is about passing final condemnation. And the second one there, I said it this way, believing that nothing can ever change in that person. It's coming to a place where you look at somebody else and you go, I'm writing you off. I don't really care anymore. Do you feel that finalness to that? I'm just going to turn my back on you and forget you. See, that's a type of judgment. Look at the next one. And next, I said it this way, turning one's back on restoration. It means that, again, it's this attitude toward another person that says, I, I don't give a rip. Tough. Next bullet, I said it this way. Believing that they aren't worthy of being rescued for what they had done. It's kind of like, God, don't even bother with these people. Let them go. But I think maybe that what summarizes that next bullet there in your notes, I said it this way. It's about allowing God to be the final judge. See, judgment is about it coming to this strong conclusion, and, and it's in concrete. Now, there's a couple of phrases that the culture uses. And uh, when, when somebody comes along and says, in a very flippant way even, a very intentional way, God damn you, do you feel the finalness of that curse? I don't care anymore about you. The term, go to hell. Do you realize how wicked really those terms are? Because there's a judgment saying, give up, God, turn them over, send them to hell. I don't give a rip. See, you feel the weight of that kind of judgment. But the reality is, we're not the final judge. That is God's judge. Now, there, there's a place where Scripture actually speaks to us being judging, but it's speaking toward the eternity when we're in heaven. And looking back at creation. But on this earth, we're really not invited to participate with God in this final condemnation. And when we get too close to that line, what actually is happening, and we jump over to judging, what we've done is we become a God. Said, I have the right to condemn you, throw you out. And God says, No. So let me give you the application there in your notes, number one, just to fill in that blank. We are to be staying away from the condemning business. The condemnation also begins with criticism. We have to realize that it can be verbal, it can be internal, and that criticism, we can be moving, almost becoming hypercritical, and all of a sudden it crosses that line where we can become judgmental. And I think the challenge is, is that we like to dabble in the area of criticism or stay there, and we think we're always okay there. So, so we ask the question, what is our reputation in the area of, of criticism? Are we notorious for criticizing the media, the politicians, the teachers, pastors, your boss, co-workers, neighbors, friends? See, we can take any number of those issues and go, where, do, where are we at? What's our reputation? And I think here's what happens when you talk about people. is all of a sudden somebody starts doing it in a group. And what's the temptation? 
to jump on the bus and to start criticizing and affirm. And the challenge, see the challenge for us is to living in this critical world all the time. So do we want to actually look in the mirror and ask, do I do this? You know, some of us are going to go home and watch the Vikings lose today. And we're going to be critical at the officials, the coach, the quarterback. But, but even that doesn't hit home as much, maybe. Just go to a high school game somewhere. And you look at the refs or the coaches. All of those things, how easy it is to go down a path and begin to write those people off. And we're jumping over onto that past that line where we can actually write a referee off. We would never say hi to him in the community because he did something to offend my kid who was playing. I, I think some Christians actually believe that they have a spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> and you go, it's not legitimate. But see, there's another application here. Even in those times, and we are to judge in a right way. What's the starting point? Number two there, we need to judge with humility and not a sense of, I got it all together. Some kind of superiority. Well, look at Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Look how this reads. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this Philippians passage can I ask the question, is this for the people that we get, that's easy to get along with or the people that we struggle with? And you go, both. See, that's the challenge. How do we get along with those people that we disagree with at times when they make bad decisions, when they make bad calls? What do we do? Let me give you the third application there. Another one. We must stop trying to figure out motives. See, I think we have as humans an uncanny ability to think that we can read the mind and the heart of another person. And we know for certain why the other person is doing what they're doing. And that we can figure out the motives without actually even talking to them. And then we get locked into believing. And we read their heart. And we are so close to jumping across that line of judging them. Our motives. And do we realize that God really is the only one that can truly read the heart of a person? Now, it doesn't mean that we just sit back and be passive. And I go, no. We're made to be interpreters. It's the way we're created. We're made to interpret and respond. But here's where we have to acknowledge and understand there's a difference between this a type of discernment and being moving toward being hypercritical. And the difference there is that true biblical discernment has a different goal. It's not condemnation, it's building up. It's to present another one complete in Christ, Colossians 1. But again, I think the challenge within us is that we can fool ourselves at times and we can sprinkle wisdom and discernment words in it and get the right lingo down, and yet we're deceiving ourselves, but we're still in that place of where we're, we're moving toward judgment of people. 
See, Jesus in this passage reveals in a really quite dramatic way what needs to happen in order for our motives to be pure when those times of judgment need to happen. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, then there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is a pattern that he's going, stop. Number four, I put it this way. We must allow the Holy Spirit to reveal our motives first. We must work to listen closely to what people are saying without jumping in and assuming something. Now, what's, this is, I think, true as well. When people are offended by someone, criticism and judgment kicks in really quickly, and it kicks into overdrive. And immediately it begins going to, I'm going to discern the other person's motives. See, we have to admit that it's hard to stay away from attaching motives to people's behavior. Um, when marriages are struggling, it, this is a, such an important issue because there's so often they're assuming the motives of the other person and they can figure out the heart of the spouse. And then it feels that I have the right to criticize you and even use harsh words toward you because I know your motive. And, and condemnation then is justified. And in struggling marriages, that violation happens over and over again. But in verses 3 to 5, Jesus really is drawing on his experience. Do you catch this as a carpenter? Remember, he grew up, his father was a carpenter. He would have worked at it as a trade growing up. And you realize that he would have dealt with specks and maybe even his own eye, being human? You know, they didn't have OSHA glasses back then when they were doing their carpentry work. I don't know if you've ever seen the video. There's a video in Matthew, you had to look at it on YouTube sometime, where Jesus, in this text, he grabs this big, long, four-foot stick and he holds it up to his eye as he quotes this. That's the picture here. It's not just a little stick. It's a big one at times. See, he's driving home the point that we are called to look in the mirror to see what is in our hearts first. Now, the text doesn't throw away, though, that judgment is legitimate. Jesus is saying, here's the path. Look in your own eye before you look at anybody else's the speck in their, their eye. But we see the necessity for humility then when it comes to interacting with people. Always taking care, we got to slow down and ask, you know what, why am I getting worked up? What's my motive in it? What do I really hope to accomplish? So to be critical, discernment starts with asking those kind of questions. But let me put a statement on the screen just so you, you see it. Uh, visually as well. It's easy to be perfectionist when it comes to what we want from other people, but we become extremely tolerant when it comes to ourselves. Isn't that true? Now, there's another part to this illustration, though, 
that fits with dealing with people. When he uses the illustration of an eye, you recognize just how sensitive an eye really is. And you think of the delicate touch needed to take out a speck. I remember some of my kids having something in their eye, and you take something clean, and you you see it, and you try to get that out of there. And how do you do it? Gently. See, see, even when, I, when we go, come to this place where we've got to judge other people, there's a place where it's gentleness with the greatest of care. And it's hard. And I look back and it's conviction just how much I've blown it. The timing needs to be right, though. Our motives need to be right. And when they're not, it, it's like trying to do something in somebody's eye and they're not ready for it. And it can actually cause damage. So getting it out of the eye actually is more harmful. And it's kind of like doing surgery blindfolded on the eye. Jerry's here today. He's the only one that can do surgery blindfolded, an eye doctor. Okay? Probably not, right, Jerry? (laughs) He needs to be able to look too. See, we need to be slow to judge others, quick to judge ourselves. So what are the things that we need to remember when God calls us to interact with people when there's issues? And by the way, I really think this applies to parenting deeply as well. And first, do we stop and pray? And parents, I think the number of times I should have stopped and prayed before I addressed some of my children and dealing with their stuff. Do we think of the time, timing of it, the setting of it? If we're angry, if there's emotions welling in us, somehow we feel justified that we think my anger is because of what they did. And guess what? We own our own anger. It's ours. We don't blame anybody else for our anger. But it needs to be starting with words of encouragement, wise words. We choose our words carefully. It's not, you know, you got this ugly thing going on in your life versus, would you please help me understand what, what's happening? Could you, I, I'm not aware, what's maybe I'm missing some perspective. You know, we're to be confidential when we're dealing with some of these things. We don't pass gossip on to others. We pray even sometimes during those conversations. There's been times when I'm talking to people and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I need to know what to say. See, it's easy, though, to fall into forming a judgment so quickly and harshly without taking the time to hear and to listen. And and man, I, I think of how many times as a father I did that with my kids. But there's another issue that implies with this text. Because it's not dealing with just individuals. What do we do with the culture that's out there? That's going amok. Is judgment and condemnation legitimate there? Where it's not a person, but it's kind of them. No one individual even here. What do we do when we speak the truth of of what we believe is biblical and the culture comes back and goes judgmental? See, See, what do we do with that? Do we just turn around and shrink back? How do we express those things? Well, here's what I believe, that the scripture is really clear. 
that we, within the body of Christ, there is a call to judge one another if we claim to know Christ. There's a different standard than with the world out there. I think of Hebrews 12, where the writer there, he says, throw off the sin that's entangling. There's an exhortation there. Get rid of the stuff in your lives. And so we are called in one sense with discernment, with love, with grace, to, to discern and to judge within the body of Christ. But does that apply outside? And I would argue, no. See, I believe that the starting point of engaging our world is not condemnation, it's the gospel. They don't clean up their act and then come to God. That's not what any of us did either. If we know Christ, it wasn't about cleaning us up, then I'm good enough to go to God. No. God takes us even when we're sinners, and he works in our heart, and then he begins to clean us up. Make us whole, to make us holy. But what does the world need? The world needs to understand that, yes, they're separated from God. But we don't have to use terms of judgment and condemnation. What they need to know is that God, because of his love, sent his son into the world to die for the brokenness of this world and the sin that's in this world. See, it's the power of the gospel. I think of Romans 1. It's the power of the gospel that has changes people's lives. Then it gives the Holy Spirit the, the room to work and to change people's hearts. There's a verse, I think, that applies even in our attitude. Look at Proverbs 24, 17, as we look at the culture. Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Do not let your heart rejoice for people who don't know Christ in the world out there, when they're, when, if God is dealing with them, we don't sit around going, yay, God's judging them. I don't think that's the attitude we should have at all. See, God wants us to have a heart for the world. See, it comes back to our motive here again. We must still stop. What's the log in our eye before we even look to the culture? See, I, I think some of the questions in our spirit, do we actually have compassion for the people that are trapped in sin in the world? Or is it only disgust? For those people out there, is it just disgust and I don't really care? See, that's crossed that line of judgmentalism and it's sinful. See, how do we, with wisdom, know how to engage the world around us and not always use words of condemnation? I want to end with an illustration. And some of you may have faced this or you might in the future. A young woman called me up, not from this area at all, and she and her husband were invited to his aunt's reception, wedding reception. And his aunt was marrying another woman. And the question they were struggling it with, what do you do? They were asking me, what should we do? What do we say? So they were struggling with it attending, and here's the challenge. By attending, does it mean that you agree and you're celebrating that lifestyle? 
And then also there, risk the wrath of the other Christians looking at you and going, you are promoting this, you're accepting this. So they were caught in kind of a bind. And you go, what would you tell them? What would you, what would you advice would you give? Well, I'll tell you where I went. First of all, I know the couple really well. I know their hearts. I know their love for Christ. And in no way if they went were they saying that they're applauding some kind of sin. Absolutely not. So it comes down to, I was kind of helping them figure out, what is your motive? If you choose to go, what is your motive for going? And it was very clear that the motive was for her husband. I was talking to her. The motive for her husband was another chance. Now, I use the word another. Another chance to share the gospel. You see, he had already had a conversation with his aunt, disagreeing with, with where she was headed in her sin. And he did it, I think, with grace and compassion. He had already stated that belief. But as he came to this place where he goes, as he was wrestling what to do, he wants another chance to share the gospel. See, I really believe he can hate the sin and still love his aunt. And by God's grace, he wants to build enough of a relationship with her where at some point, when there's a moment of doubt, when there's a crisis, maybe it's on her deathbed, I don't know, but where the Spirit would be working and it, she would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, he really loves for her. He really cares for her eternal destiny. And, and he wants God to use him to give words of life to his aunt. See, the other extreme is we throw harsh words out, we cut off the relationship, and we never get another chance to talk about eternal destiny. Now, as I was pondering on the phone with this young woman, I go, what passages apply? I was running through my mind, and right away I jumped, had to go to Romans 14. It's a text that talks with dealing, uh, eating meat when food's been sacrificed to idols in an unclean context. And Paul writes there, if you don't have an issue with it, do it. If you have an issue with it, don't do it. It's not a black and white issue there. Is it okay to not go to that reception? The answer would be yes. But the challenge is is the wisdom of how do you communicate so there's not this condemnation that's taking place that's leaving room for the gospel to be given. Now what did they do? They said yes. They went to the reception. And there's probably here people that are cringing. But the truth is it may be wrong for one and not another. And we want tight answers in our faith. And sometimes they're not so tight. But see, the real issue comes back to our heart in how we're dealing with people. It was their hearts. What was their goal? What was their purpose? What was the Holy Spirit telling them? See, it always starts with us, the Spirit working with us, transforming our hearts first. Moving away from judgment. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Do not 
think anybody's ever beyond God working in their lives. That's for God to determine those things. And for us, then we pray. We give words of life. We give love. We give grace. We don't have to like to sin. But are we called to be passive either? The answer is no. We have to walk in the Spirit, and He needs to give us wisdom to how to do that, to give words of life for those that don't know Jesus, don't know Christ. Then our motive within the body. For us that we know that we're a child of God, what does it mean there? First, we need to be open to judgment where their people come to us. Say, God, maybe you're using them in my life. But for us, if we need to confront somebody, it's to stop and go, God, take the log out of my eye first that I might clearly see what the real issues are. Because there at that point, the goal that needs to be is not just confronting sin. That is not the end goal. The end goal when judgment is legitimate is this. We are looking to present people perfect in Christ. We're looking to take people that are away, meandering. They're, They're walking away from God. We're looking to take their hand and we're looking to connect them back to the Savior. See, that's the goal in that kind of discernment. And that's the wisdom that we need to do it with grace, truth, and love. Let's stand and pray.